Hello, and welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. I'm James. And I'm Callum, and this is the only podcast where nobody lives in the bathroom. And every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival. Normal coverage is returning this week as we are sitting down to talk about the brilliant and fantastic Turn Left, otherwise known as my personal favourite episode of Doctor Who. As always, though, just a quick reminder, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Two Hearts Pod, the number two, and you can email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's two, the word two, to have your thoughts and feelings shared on the show. James. Have you two had a parallel universe created around you by an interdimensional trickster beetle? I can't say that I have, Callum, although I will say the last time something unwanted came on my back, I did want to vanish into one. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a Friday afternoon, folks. (laughs) We are off to the races. Um, How's your week been, Callum? Welcome back to Two Hearts. (laughs) Thank you. Sorry, I can't. That came out of nowhere. I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't prepare you. me for that. Um, my week's been good. I, I, okay, so I've become a little bit of an exercise queen and I've started, I bought a bike over Christmas uh, and I've been riding to work every day and now I just think I'm the fittest person in the whole world. Yes. I think Callum has ridden to work a total of two times this week yes. and has not stopped talking about it. No, and I won't stop talking about it because that's just the kind of person I am now. I'm a person with a bike. <laughs> that's that's me that's your whole personality now <laughs> yeah <laughs> how has your week been uh it's been good it has been um good i am now officially reviewing the high republic um star wars books for power up which is to me a very much a career highlight so that feels quite good um and that's really about it i think that's all i really need to share on the show <laughs> Found a body, sir. And the doctor is dead. How could anything be worse than this? What? What did they find? Oh my God! The stars are going out. Who are you? How is that you? Turn around! Show me your face! I've been pulled across from a different universe because every single universe is in danger. There's something on your back. What am I supposed to do? Powering up. None of this was meant to happen. You're gonna die. Turn Left is episode 11 of season 4, written by Russell T. Davies and directed by stalwart director Graham Harper. Uh, now, James has written a little synopsis for those who are a little bit unfamiliar with the episode. Um, uh, while visiting a fortune teller on a suspiciously insensitive alien world, Donna is attacked by a giant beetle that attaches itself to her back and creates an alternate timeline in which she makes the fateful choice to turn right instead of left missing her temp contract that led to her meeting the Doctor in the first place. In this alternate timeline, the Doctor is killed during the events of The Runaway Bride as Donna was never there to stop him from going too far. This change to history causes a butterfly effect through the rest of the established events of the show, in which the Doctor should have been there to save Earth, but instead the UK and the planet descend into violent chaos as repeated alien attacks cause massive immigration disasters and eventually totalitarian governments to rise. As Donna and her family attempt to survive the escalating chaos, she is sporadically visited by Rose Tyler, who is universe-hopping in an attempt to find out what happened to the Doctor and why. 
Across several meetings, the two women discussed the importance of Donna Noble and the role ordinary humans play in the Doctor's heroics. Finally, with Earth at its darkest hour, Donna agrees to help Rose mend the timeline, but is warned that she will die in the process. The two use the TARDIS's remaining power to create a makeshift time machine, which sends Donna back to the moment that she chose to turn right. She arrives with too little time, however, and sacrifices herself to cause a traffic jam that forces her past self to turn left once more, breaking the Beatles' control over her and restoring the timeline. Rose tells Donna to pass on a message to the Doctor when she wakes up in her real world. Two words. Bad wolf. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. What a ending. <laughs> what an episode, really. Mm. I mean, okay. I was going to say to you, what are your, what are your thoughts, James? But um, I know I've said this at the top of the episode, but this is my favorite episode of Doctor Who. And that title is, you know, it, it that's a, that's a pretty big call, you know? Um, but this is, I think to my mind, just the absolute best, pe- the, the high watermark for the show in terms of like what it can do in terms of its format, in terms of its message. It's, it's just one of the most amazing episodes and centered around not even like my favorite companion necessarily, but Donna is just such a important character. And I forgot that like <laughs> until I rewatched this series and realized just how much, how much like importance is put behind Donna in this series. Um, so for those reasons and more, uh, I, look, this is going to be an A-plus episode for me. <laughs> we can already put that out of the way. <laughs> what about you, James? Um, <clears throat> yeah, look, it's it's pretty much a perfect episode of Doctor Who. This is, like you said, it's right up there. It does set a, um, a, a benchmark for so many elements of the show that we love, which is... You know, companion first storytelling, interiority, uh, cool sci-fi, wibbly-wobbly bullshit. Um, RTD getting just radically political with his writing in this episode. Mm. It is a... It's an episode that treats its audience with a lot of respect and definitely veers into probably the one of the darkest kind of... Um, stories that I think this family-friendly show has ever packaged up. And so much of it flies by with ease because, um, you know, Catherine Tate is just such an organically amusing screen presence. Um, But when you really pay attention to Turn Left, it is just... It's so dark. Um, And... I think you and I both tend to gravitate a bit more towards the darker Doctor Who stories mm. um, with a hopeful tinge at the end, um, I, I, I would say. Although this episode, yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I think you're right. And I, we do gravitate towards those episodes that present a pretty bleak outlook, but still manage to, to put in a little bit of hope. Um, this is not a hopeful episode if you just consider the world in which Don in which is created around Donna, because that is a world that was on trajectory to like implode basically. And the only yeah. thing, the only thing, and this is the episode's main thesis that's stopping that flood is not just the doctor, but the doctor with his companions. It really makes it clear that that relationship is so integral to basically stopping the universe or well, earth from falling into complete disarray. 
And that's big. Yeah, it is. It is big. And it's also um, in contrast to what we've been seeing across the rest of this season, which like series four, I would say is, um, it's very concerned with projecting a uh, godlike status onto the Doctor. Um, and I think that this is the time when all of the subtext of the past few seasons, which have been like just so readily sucking the Doctor's dick, which I, like, I get it. Mm-hmm. I understand, <laughs> as I said at the time, I understand why the show is written the way that it is. Mm-hmm. But to see it in series four actually be like, not just brought up to the surface, but like violently dragged out of the water um, and left on the beach. And you're like, look at it. Look at what we have created here, which is David Tennant's Doctor being so beloved and and so center of the universe in in so many ways. Which like yeah, he's the title character, but you and I have always kind of said that like the main character of Doctor Who should probably be the companion. Um, yep. And what this episode does brilliantly is still keep in line with RTD's vision of of Doctor Who as like yeah of course if the Doctor if the Doctor is not there to stop the end of the world the end of the world is going to come like pretty basic storytelling stuff but the only reason that Doctor can be there to stop the end of the world is because of the companion Mm. and that rebalancing of power and responsibility and roles to play in events I think is uh, a much more um, emotionally um, fulfilling story especially Mm with it being Donna that it's being based around. Yeah. Well, like it's sort of the combination of, and I think we'll get into with next week as well. Um, next episode is these three episodes form sort of a culmination of Russell T Davies, um, era, because once we get into the specials, there aren't many callbacks to the past. Those sort of exist on their own, but this, this episode is definitely structured around revisiting, this the his, this very recent history of the show, um, and arguably its most popular period, right? Um, and so when I say it's the combination of that, I mean like from day dot, it's always been about the companion as the sort of the viewing, the lens through which we view this world. Um, but this episode makes it like pretty plain that, as you say. Uh, the Doctor's there to save the world, the Companion's there to save the Doctor. And it's kind of, you know, even if you think about it in the context of, like, the classic era where the Companion always felt sort of, like, secondary to, like, the story, like, something that had to be written into it as opposed to a a key part of it for the most part. Um, This is not changing the DNA of those past stories, but recontextualizing them as, as something far more significant for the better, you know what I mean? And the fact that it is mm-hmm. centered around Donna, uh, who is just like Catherine Tate just knocks it out of the park <laughs> this week. Um, yeah. And she does. She's sort of, it's funny. Like, you know, she's not the, I mean, obviously people, when they visualize the sort of Uber companions of this era, it's like Rose, it's Amy. Um, those are probably the top two. I think people mostly think of. And then Donna, um, Donna is incredibly popular, but she's not what you consider the traditional companion. And I love it for that because, because she's a middle-aged woman. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, Donna's entire character is built around her lack of, like, self-esteem self-worth. and her, her yeah, her, her self-worth and, and what isn't there for her as as a woman. And so, yeah, telling a story that is very specifically drumming and, like, driving home, you are everything mm. to this show um, and to this this story that we are telling together. Um, I think, yeah, it, it's, it's a really, like, it is the best Donna episode by a mile. Oh, my God, absolutely. Absolutely. And I tried to, like, think about how this episode would be with Martha or with Rose. And they're, they, they're not... This is an episode that's written for her, that it needs to work because of her. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. Obviously, they're not quite the same thing, but you brought up Martha and the idea of, like, a story of... Like, what would Martha's story be like without the Doctor? And I think the closest we ever get to that is the um, the... Is it part two of of her big finale where, you know, she essentially becomes like a G.I. Jane evangelist for the Doctor, um, which is kind yeah. of the opposite of, of what I think this episode is doing really well. And like I, I know that they're, they're quite different stories, but I'm just talking about like the nugget of the idea of, you know, what do these people become in the absence of the Doctor and then what does he become in, in their absence? Um, I think this is a, a, a much better way of doing it. And in turn, I'm, as I was saying that out loud, I was like, did we get that for Rose? I was like, this is that story for Rose. What what we find out about yeah. Rose through the the series of this these three episodes is what does Rose become without the Doctor? Um, and that's also quite interesting. But we'll, we'll get to that later. It's, we are obviously quite, quite ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> we are. And I will just say, like, it, this episode is crucially not about what are they like if they leave the Doctor without them. This is like, what if they never met them? Yeah. And yeah. what this episode shows is that Donna, you know, yes, she regresses. She starts at that sort of regressed period where she didn't think much of herself or, like, thought much of her expectations. Like, there was nothing... There was nothing for her life. You know, she just had to exist, basically. Um, And this Mm. episode shows that even without the Doctor, she still is going to run to danger. She's still going to, you know, take risks and, you know, do things that she's scared of doing. That's really, like, what happens at the end. Yes. Uh, Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, at at the end, yes. Um, I think, obviously, the the bulk of the story is um, sort of talking about um, I, I guess like the idea that belief in yourself unlocks your effectiveness, um, in, in life, like the, like, you know, in theory, anybody could step up and do the right thing. Um, mm. but you need to believe that you're going to be the one to, to do it. And I feel like that's what kind of unlocks Donna's importance here because, you know, the, the repeated idea that she keeps talking about in this episode where she's like, I'm just a temp, like I'm literally nobody. So like, yeah, exactly. But like, it has to be a, a nobody that can that can do the kind of thing that you are required to do in this story. Do you know what I mean, it's not as if like the noble bloodline is particularly no. uh, responsive to the powers of the time vortex. Do you know what I mean? It's just that she is the the plain ordinary human who chose to be something more than that. Um, and I, I think that that's really like really great. <laughs> It is, and let's definitely discuss that in the context of this episode, because once we get into next week, and even a little bit at the ending of this episode, it's much more about fate when it comes. Um, yes, it is. Yes, but that is look. We we made the we made the executive decision <laughs> off mic to try to silo, uh, turn left as much as we can from the pres- the following uh, two parter because that two parter is. 
is the rise of Skywalker to this last Jedi. It is just a completely different beast. And um, we will get to that when we get to that. Um, I, I want to start by, because obviously that was a lot of praise and we are very high on this episode and we will continue to be. I do want to start with a um, just an, a cultural criticism, I suppose. Uh, this episode begins on a planet that is... Uh, uh, it's just it's just China, like it's it's just Chinese culture China presented as alien culture. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's new new China. It, it's it's not it's not great. Uh, I think that the way that it it sort of splashes this around on the screen as a oh look at all this like weird food and stuff. It's like it, I mean that's it's just a Chinese market though, bro. Like that's that's kind of gross. Um, and then it gets ratcheted up when uh, Doctor meets the uh, when Doctor when Donna meets the fortune teller, and you get into some really shady uh, Orientalism. You know, um, mysteries of the the East kind of oh nefarious. Ah, oh, I'm gonna steal you. It's like it's I don't like any of that beginning, um, and it really bums me out that it's in this episode. Yeah, look, it, it's unfortunate, and obviously, I can imagine the production team were like, "We just need a quick alien planet," and then uh, unthinkingly, uncritically, decided to depict like this, um, and that's a bad choice. Um, the kind of wild part, just on that note, like, like, you got me thinking about the idea of like a whole production team behind this because, like, it does look fantastic. It looks expensive. This is like a pretty decently sized. Um, collection of extras and props and and noise and camera work and it's like that's a lot of effort to have just been like oh it's it's just china <laughs> you know yeah exactly exactly uh you know and it's a really nice um it's a really nice uh what do you call it cgi shot initially of the the planet and the music and the and the whole thing um mm. look we don't have to talk about this too much it, but yes you're right the 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 fortune teller character I think she speaks in like broken English. It's it's very, it it's not great. It's not, it and you know we are very critical on this show of a lot of things about Doctor Who, and so just because we love an episode doesn't mean that we're going to ignore this like giant red flag at the beginning of it. No pun intended, I guess. No. Um. Anyway, moving on from that, um, the premise of this episode is hmm. so delightfully like bonkers you know so i think russell described it as like sliding doors basically which is i don't know if you know that film but it's gwyneth paltrow and the premise of that movie is like she there's like two it two timelines basically one in which she caught a train and one in which she didn't and you see them both sort of play out alongside each other and they sort of resolve and come back together by fate uh at the end um and, uh, you know, obviously this is not, this is like, this is like sliding doors if you just followed one of those narratives and it was the terrible one. Um, but it is, it is, it is unique and something we've never seen before, you know, Doctor Who doesn't really do alternate universes if much at all. Um, but also the decision to, uh, you know, center it around Donna and to make it a world in which like things are going terribly because the Doctor's died um is dark it's it's really quite dark it is it is it's also just like uh it's i mean if you're out there and you haven't seen it it's literally just a giant beetle crawls onto her back and a whole new universe pops into existence <laughs> like it's 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 the biggest swing and it's one of those choices where 
you just don't even need to think about it. You're like, yeah, okay, this is just happening now. And I like when Doctor Who kind of wants you to go along on, on mm. those kind of big swings because the follow through is that you get a brand new sandbox to play in, um, in which, uh, you know, Russell obviously writes something um, very, very special here. Mm. I think you and I sort of stumbled onto the idea that this is essentially a prototype years and years, um, <laughs> which for any of you out there who haven't seen it, Russell T Davies did a fantastic, uh, a really good series <laughs> called years and years, um, which essentially I think every episode uh, jumps ahead another five years is it, it? i don't know if there's a set jump set time yeah it yeah. just jumps ahead a few years every it time. just jumps ahead yeah yeah and it, and it tracks a um uh, a uk that elects a really shitty trump-esque leader and then falls into a totalitarian state because of it and it gets quite brutal uh it's it's got some very nice sci-fi concepts in there as well um it, it's a really really fun bit of um a uh, bit of television. And that's essentially what we see play out on a smaller scale here. Mm. For every event of season f- three and four, we get another sort of jump and look into where Donna and her family's life has progressed um, at that point. Yeah, we do. It, it does, It obviously, encaps- like I said, encapsulates all the past sort of, all the past present episodes, basically, since Rose left. And so you see the Runaway Bride, Smith and Jones, um, the Sontaran episode, the Voyage of the Damned. You see them all, but without the Doctor's presence there. The, the, <laughs> this is such a sidebar, but I do love the fact that in this universe, basically the whole Master thing just never happened because the Doctor didn't go to the future to free him. So he's basically oh, just yeah. there for the rest of time, not knowing he's the Master. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. And it means that, like, Jack is obviously just stuck in tar- in Torchwood forever and bloody bloody bleak. Yeah, while we're also doing small tangents, I, I remember there's a-, a point later in the episode where all the cars start doing the, um, like, the poison gas thing from uh, Poison Sky or whatever that, that two-parter was called. And I remember at the time thinking to myself, oh, yeah, we've still got to do the events of that episode as well. <laughs> it was just made me laugh, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's 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 funny, isn't it? Because like those episodes, those moments, and those past invasions, um, all the other supporting characters in the spin-off media die, you know. And you hear, mm, you know, yeah. that Sarah Jane and and Martha were in the same hospital, weirdly, um, and they died during the events of Smith and Jones. Uh, and the Torchwood team were, you know, died in the Sontaran episode. All of London gets wiped out because the Titanic lands on Buckingham Palace, you know, the, the, the dominoes keep falling and they keep getting bigger and bigger each time. Um, the adipose, you know, they just go to America and it, it, it also like invites you to think like, you know, just like how defenseless obviously earth is. Um, but then how scary that can be without the sort of filter of someone like the doctor. And you see that happen in, with the character of Wilf, who, like, goes from being quite, you know, in previous episodes, you know, he obviously, he idolizes the Doctor, blah, blah. And, but he thinks of space with such, you know, uh, adventure and curiosity. And he's obviously saying to Donna, you know, go out there, go out into the stars and, and meet, and just mm. go into time. And in this episode, he's, um, yeah, he's scared, you know, he's like, there's things up there watching us and they're not friendly. And his whole attitude has changed because, because of the Doctor yeah. not holding back the floodgates essentially of alien mm-hmm. invasion um yeah 
which is really good and and really interesting sorry i'll be honest for the most of the time you were just talking i was trying to figure out if this episode title smith and jones still made sense by having um uh <laughs> sarah jane smith yeah and martha jones <laughs> oh my god right that's so silly i'm very here for that sorry um Yes, completely agree with everything you just said. The escalating series of events and the way that it shapes humanity um, is really dark and interesting. Um, the, I think, sort of the the biggest emotional uh, beat, uh, or one of the biggest emotional beats of this alternate timeline is essentially after the Titanic crashes into London and you know just completely obliterates the the entire idea of the UK or Europe as we know it at least. Um, it eventually leads to uh, Donna and her family becoming immigrants of, of a sort. And so then they, they, or refugees, refugees rather. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they need to be sort of relocated. There's a, a an entire little scene about the bureaucracy and cruelty of that process as well. And that's why like, this episode is like brazenly political um, in a way that I wish Russell would get more often with the show. Um, once they get relocated, they end up sharing this like little flat uh, with a bunch of other families. And then you know, things kind of keep getting worse. I think that's when the poison sky stuff starts happening. And essentially, you know, the, the work dries up, the environment is dying. Everything's basically fucked. Mm. And as a result of this, one of the families that they are living with is this um, Italian family who I believe were immigrants in the first place. And they get rounded up and put into labor camps. And it's such yeah. a bleak and brutal skewering of what Russell through the lens of Doctor Who, kind of believes his country could fall back on in the worst of times, you know? Well, yeah, absolutely. It's obviously his worldview, but it is, it's there in history, you know? It, and we have mm. labour camps in first world countries now, you know? We have detaining, we have detainment camps, we have yes, Christmas Island here, you know? Mm. Um this, these are not things that, you know, obviously are plucked out of the ether. They 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 exist in our modern world. Um, and, yeah, to your point, um, the Italian family that they're sharing with are, like, rounded up and put into onto trucks. And essentially, yeah, like, we take we don't know what happens to them at, in the end. We don't know where they go. Um, the worst part of that, not the worst part, but I guess the sort of the affecting part of that scene is Wilf, you know, having lived through a world war where this happened, you know, he says it's happening again. And you can see mm. like, you can see just yeah. like that, that turn of history, the, like the ebb and flow and things have gone from bad to good to bad again. And mm. that disbelief that it could ever happen again. And I think that's something that, you know, like a lot of people and why these things happen nowadays is because with, there was a generation that never had to deal with this kind of problems and so we never imagined yeah. this was this could happen again but it can mm. it, and it's happening now um well and that's it like yeah to, to the point that you, you're making there the idea that you know we were ostensibly raised in a world where this quote-unquote couldn't happen they just got much better about pushing it to the side you know like the narratives around these things shifted the the idea of like who belonged quote-unquote belonged in in those sort of places has just been so obscured by conservative and shitty governments sorry th th there's so much going on at the moment with the australian government and our immigration problems um it it's just 
it's just a shockingly evil system. Mm. Um, and seeing it in this episode was um, such a... an nice is not the right word i I'm, I'm trying to find the right word for what i'm saying not even catharsis but like it just felt it felt to connect with mm. a doctor who story that you know trusted me and kids as the audience to tell this story and it is one of those things that i just really love about russell i honestly couldn't put it better that that's exactly what it is it's a kid's show but we're not showing away from this stuff and i think it's to, to russell's credit he's doing it in a way that's like that doesn't insult their intelligence but doesn't traumatize them and yeah. um, it, it's almost educational, I suppose, um, in that respect. And I mean, you, you can trust mm. contrast this with um, probably what is the like <laughs> the full expansion of in the Doctor Who universe of of this story, which is the Children of Earth miniseries from Torchwood, um, which has a scene of like the UK government, the cabinet, essentially uh, discussing which percentage of children they're going to uh, kill. <laughs> and and it's it's totally accurate or at least to my mind it feels accurate and that's the best writing obviously um it, it's it's to- and it's totally in step with how i think the majority of people would imagine governments to act in such a, an extreme scenario um yeah a bunch of stately elderly older white men discussing it with um the appropriate amount of objectivism totally you know? <laughs> totally um, it's, it's almost a shame that we don't actually get a government. We don't see the government in this episode. We just see their, their actions and the consequences of their choices through Donna and the, 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 um, refugee life that they're living in Leeds. Um, mm-hmm. because you know, there's the line about where Rose says there's not much petrol. Um, there's in, because of the Santana strategy that's why the UK is largely exempt from the, that whole poison gas stuff. Um, mm. and then obviously there's mention of, I think, France closing its borders. Um, mm-hmm. the, the whole south of England, uh, south of England, sorry, flooded with radiation. Like, it, it's building up a proper dystopia. Um, yep. But I love that we see it from the ground. We don't, we don't, we, we see what, how it affects ordinary people. And, you know, I think, you know, the best example of that is probably um, Sylvia, Donna's mum. Uh, oh, absolutely. Because yeah. she gets... Uh, it's probably my favourite shot of the whole episode is uh, immediately after the labour camp scene, Donna goes back into the house and Graham Harper has chosen to, like, put Sylvia's face almost entirely in the in the, the whole frame of the shot in focus and Donna walks in behind her out of focus, like, not even registering on Sylvia's kind of... On her, like, in her... She's not registering with Sylvia. Um mm. And you know, she's Donna says, uh, I, I, I'm going to ask for jobs. I'm going to, um, they said I wasn't qualified. And then she says, um, and then what does she say? <laughs> and then she says, I guess I've always been a disappointment. And Sylvia just mumbles. Yeah. And it, oh, it's just, obviously I'm saying this in, without the context through this scene, through this episode, we get little typical Sylvia jabs, but it's with, it's it's it lands just more hurtful, I think this time. Whereas previously, it's sort of been played as a joke. Um, yeah, well, it's like the the whole noble family is essentially. Um, and look, Sylvia doesn't exactly get like a huge amount of character um, development in in the regular series either. It is one of my criticisms of um, of this kind of time in the show, but. Generally speaking, in in turn left, um, we do see the the noble family be completely 
dragged down by everything that goes on here. And, and not just from the... Um, uh, like the refugee situation and whatnot. But as you said, across the course of the episode, um, they they become sharpened versions of themselves um, just through the fact that um, Donna's not out there saving the world means that Donna's um, sense of self-worth isn't developed, um, which also in turn leads to an, an even more entrenching of her arrested development, um, you know, at home with her parents uh, or with her you know, her family, um, situation, which makes, um, Sylvia, 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 um, much more resentful of her in turn, drudges up all that stuff about her dad that's died. And then, as you said, with, um, Wilf and his change of heart about, um, how he, he views extraterrestrial life and seeing these characters brought so low by these series of events and Donna, still exhibiting those Donnerisms. She is still funny. She is still very strong-headed and very much um, constantly vocally opposing the things that are happening to her family in this episode. Um, But like we said at the start, isn't quite there to unlock doing something about it yet. Um, And that only really comes in with uh, Rose, obviously visiting her into this timeline. Um, But yeah, the, Mm -hmm. the, the Sylvia stuff is... It's just shockingly depressing. Um, yeah. It's pretty bad. It, not, and I'm sorry, normally when we say that, we mean the episode's bad. Uh, you're, but um, we mean it. In a, it made us feel bad us in a really great way. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. It, 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 it gave Sylvia dimension, obviously, to sort of, yes. to see her just yeah fall apart basically and become a shell <clears throat> yeah yeah and you, i mean you do get the impression that a lot of uh, rather you get the impression now because of this episode i don't think this is really there unless it's buried in that subtext um across the other episodes but like her view of the world is uh it's almost like a brutal realism you know it, it's realism to the point of cruelty often especially as she relates to donna the way she talks to her about you know is that that line that really disgusting line at the start of the episode where she's like oh rich men only need women like you for practice and it's like jesus fucking christ yeah that's her daughter like yeah it, it is such a knife between the ribs um it, it's horrific but but you know she just wants her daughter to I, I do get the impression with Sylvia that like she wants her daughter to sort of um succeed in in a very in a world that she specifically understands to not be receptive to the kind of person that Donna is even if she once mm. did see what Will still sees in Donna which is like the special things you know you get that story about um her getting on the bus you know Donna yeah, getting on the bus and everything. Like, those little um, isms that, you know, Sylvia probably did love about her daughter at some point have now just turned into more weaknesses for the world to exploit. You know what I mean? I love that reading of it, and I really, I really want to believe it. And I think I do, actually, because, you know, we talk about... And obviously, the way in which Sylvia is largely written across the episodes is with the sort of, like, EastEnders soapy kind of dialogue. But... Yeah. It comes from a place of truth, as soap operas do, which, and, you know, if you think about, like, I'm not saying your parents necessarily, but parents in general, there Mm -hmm. is a fear of the world. There is a a desire for their children to, you know, not to succeed in their dreams, but to get a safe job and a safe house and, you know, and someone to live with so that they can stay safe. That all rings very true. And the fact that, and this is just a general sort of observation 
um, you know, because Silva, Sylvia and the, the noble family could be any family going through this, the changes in society that happened in this episode, which is that things were one way, things were safe, and they've, they're no longer safe. And that is the entire, yeah. that's the entire experience of, of the, that they have through this, through this episode. Nothing is safe. The families, mm. the friends, there's a scene where they're, they're, they're camping on the kitchen floor in their um, house in Leeds and they're, uh, what does she say? Um, I've got the transcript open. Um, hang on. Sylvia says, you know, do you remember Mary McGinty? She worked in the news agents. Um, she'll be dead. And then she says, every day I think of someone else, all dead. Um, it's actually a really good scene. And then Sylvia just keeps going and she says, you know, what if it never gets better? Um, Donna's like, the government will sort us out. And Sylvia says, what if they don't? And she says, who's going to list this? Is, oh, such a good line. Sylvia says, who's going to list to us? Refugees. We haven't even got a vote. We're just no one, Donna. We don't exist. And that's like, that is Sylvia's mm. mind. She's like, we don't exist. We're, we, we, we are not on any register. As far as the world is concerned, we are not here. Yeah. But that's how Donna feels all the time. Like, that yeah. she is meaningless, that she has no worth. And now the world is kind of, like, corroborating that and saying, yeah, you don't have any worth. You you don't even exist as far as we're concerned. And it's funny because yeah. it's in that environment that she thrives. I don't want to say thrives because she doesn't. She's pushed into the, to the ultimate, the final act of the episode. Um... um yeah, but I, I think the way it's framed as a I'm ready choice as opposed mm. to a don't make me do this kind of choice, I, I think does give her some a, a pretty decent amount of agency and development in, in that moment. Um, Which is probably yeah, a good segue into Rose. I was literally about to say that. <laughs> you know, when you call attention to segues, they're no longer segues. <laughs> they just become awkward podcast moments. So... <laughs> Anyway, Rose is back, everybody. <laughs> Do you want to... Uh, Rose is back, and it never felt so good. Um, yeah, she is um, such a, a ray of light in this season. Like, we talked about it at the... Um, when we talked about the Adipose episode at the very beginning, where it's... Which, God, feels like a lifetime ago at this point. Mm. Um, but, you know, when, when Rose... Uh, when you see Rose in that crowd and she, she has that brief exchange with Donna. Um, and, you know, I had a lot of complaints about Rose. I will always have a lot of those complaints about Rose, but it is electric to see her back on screen. Yeah. Um, she has such an impact on the vibe of this show. It, it's it's quite remarkable. And a lot of that obviously comes down to the Billy Piper is just, ah. She, yeah, she is fantastic. And I'm remembering that, like, at the time, I think there was a bit of criticism towards, I think, undue criticism to her performance as she's like like she's feeling her way back into the character and i think that's frankly a pretty bad faith read because like rose in this episode is not the same rose we met like who the doctor left on the beach she is yeah. like as we learn in the next episode you know she literally built a cannon to push to like project herself across dimensions to get back to the doctor like she is so strong-willed and the episode and the yeah. rose we see in this episode i mean let's just let's just start by saying this she is the doctor 
she fulfills the doctor role in this episode and she even like fulfills some of his action like his behavior she doesn't tell mm-hmm. donna her name she's dismissive she is like does techno babble um she wears the same clothes all the time yes truly um i I put in my notes uh rose is the doctor in this episode all mystery and menace and kindness included I, i i think it is all of the facets of what the doctor is because she shows up and she's kind of weird she's kind of kooky uh then she ends up being quite uh, hard with Donna at times, which is obviously what Donna needs in this moment, but she's also still very much Rose Tyler underneath all that. You know, there's a scene where the two of them are sitting on a, a park bench and they're mm. talking about um, the fact that Donna once knew the man that was supposed to stop all of this. And she just has that great, like, really good moment where she's like, oh, and he had great hair. Like, really great hair. Mm. And it's it's that Billy Piper sexuality. It's mm. so effortless with her when she's on screen. Like, she is able to fulfill all of those things at once. In the same way that David Tennant can, in a lot of ways, actually. Yeah. I, I think they are shockingly well-paired performers for these particular roles. Um, and yet, to your point about people not liking her um, acting, or, like, thinking her acting isn't where it needs to be for this story, um, I, I do fundamentally reject that. Because, like you said, these characters have changed. She is growing. She she is a different woman now. And the idea that fans want versions of their favorite characters just, like, perfectly sealed up is antithetical to storytelling. It is. And I... I, I... It's funny because, like, I I reject that uh, take for this episode for the reason that she's grown, and yet in the next episode, <laughs> sorry, I know we said we were going to do well, this. That's the thing. That's why you got to silo this episode because the next two parter undoes everything we love about Rose and Donna yeah. here, um, and I hate it. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we're not doing that. Um, there's just so many good Rose scenes. Like my yeah. notes are just full of like these little moments with her that I really like. She gets to have the bigger on the inside moment with Donna mm. um, when they they she eventually takes her to, to see the TARDIS. Um, there's that beautiful shot of the two of them in the dying TARDIS yeah. where there's that beam of light hitting them at the console, yeah. and Donna's like nursing a cup of coffee. It's just it's so good. The bit on you're right. You are right. That scene is incredible. The bit um with the park bench and they're in the park and it gets mm. me every time when Donna just turns on Rose and says, you know, what am I supposed to do? I'm nothing special. I'm 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 a temp. I'm not even that. I'm nothing. And then Don and Rose counters mm. that with smiling and saying in a very doctor way, you know, you're the most important woman in the whole of creation. Um. Yeah. You kind of forget that she means it and that this episode and story means it too, because that becomes such a um, a cliche doctor line, I suppose, is, you know, oh, the companion is the most important person in the whole world. But like they are and they and Donna is truly in this story. Um, and then, you know, the fact that Rose has like precognition, she knows that in three weeks time, Donna's going to accept She's going to come with her and to her fate, basically. Um, mm. I mean, it's so enigmatic. And she says it in that scene, Donna, you know, <laughs> sorry, so sorry. Again, a doctor line, you're going to die. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she feels outside of time and um, n- not just outside of time, but outside of... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, repercussions o- outside of... Um, she's untouchable 
uh, yeah, she is untouchable in in this story. She very much is that that doctor role. I I really do love watching Billy Piper run around the story. Um, and and having Rose back in. And, and this speaks to broadly what I do love about this episode that I said at the start of our episode here is that, yes, this episode still very much loves the Doctor and wants you to know that they are one of the most important people in the world. Um, but Rose gets to come in and connect with Donna on a person-to-person way at times as well. Mm. Like, they both get to be the most important people in this particular universe at that moment, because they're the only two that can actually do anything about this. Mm. Um, and it's just a really good, um, f- like coming to fruition of, of Rose's arc and a reinforcement of Donna's right before we go into what happens next. What does happen next, James? Tell us. Think, things, things that shall not be named. <laughs> it's so great that like, I mean, this is such an amazing um, season finale, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did say that to you before that this should have been a uh, this concept could have been a series finale, and I oh yeah yeah for sure there's enough here to do with like a two parter for sure absolutely that's another thing just um this we've been talking a lot about themes and, and character work and blah, blah blah but just like uh you know speaking just as an episode of television it is wild to me that this thing is the same length as a regular episode of doctor who because Mm. it feels like a feature length film it's pacing and script work and camera work and music is just firing on all cylinders to the point where it has a very cinematic and um not broad but like you do feel as if you have watched a movie when you come out of this one it it is all encompassing it is it's it is it, yeah, you're right. It's exactly like a like a Looper esque kind of movie. Movie. Um, see what I did there. Um, mm. Mm, mm. Um, didn't make any sense, but that's okay. <laughs> um, let's talk about Donna in the circle with the beetle on her back, because I think that this there are two scenes basically where Donna's standing in this circle that the of mirrors that um, unit have created which is um i think they describe it as like scraping the surface technology off of the tardis to create a sort of a a, a time machine but it's really quite you know one shot yeah it's it's a, it's a wibbly wobbly timey whiny <laughs> machine it doesn't it doesn't need to be scientifically explained i think but and, bit- and just before we get to that point mm. um i, I do want to specifically say the concept because you get this amazing shot of they they've got all these cables and mm. stuff just spilling out of an open TARDIS and that all leads to this like mirror circle that they've created and the the sheer spark of hope you have when you see that scene because up mm. until that point you are really entrenched in the dark political future stuff um and then to go from that Donna showing herself off and being like, okay, I'm ready to finally come with you and see what you've been building. And it's like, fuck yeah, human ingenuity. It, it's it's that feeling that Chris Chibnall's Doctor Who is screaming about, but never actually able to convey, which is like, humans are brilliant. Humans fucking rule sometimes. And you get all of that in this one scene that you don't get from three seasons with him, but it's fine. It's fine. If we're not going to talk about the finale, we probably shouldn't talk about Chris Chibnall either. I said it's fine, <laughs> Carl. Um, yes, yeah, you definitely, I mean, Unit, I'm not a biggest fan, I'm not the biggest fan of Unit, um, but I'm fucking punching the air this time with, um, Captain Arisa Magumbo, she's great, we only see her for, like, a couple of seconds, but she's great, 
Um, and then you get that another really good enigmatic Rose moment where she's like, oh, don't call me mum. She's like, well, you haven't given us your name. And it's like, fuck yeah, Rose. Yeah. Don't give anyone your name. <laughs> <laughs> fuck yeah, Rose. Don't you dare tell anyone. Um, yes. Look, okay. To return to what we were talking about, um, the the Circle of Mirrors, created from the TARDIS, bloody bloody blah. But um, Donna's put in the middle of it and the they turn the machine on and it reveals the the beetle on Donna's back and it is such a harrowing moment because like Donna is just beside herself she is like bereft to discover that like in her words you know that she's not um she's not special she's a host for this thing that has attached itself to her um and you know she yells at Rose says you're a liar you told me I was special oh it's awful um which then, like, leads to Rose, you know, saying, we're getting separate readings from you. Um, and they've been there since the day you were born. Um, and I don't even think I have a point to this. It's just, it's just, it's just Catherine Tate there acting her guts out. And, yeah, just completely hollowing herself out on screen, mm-hmm. basically. Um, yeah. It's an incredible performance. It really is. And then you get that bit. Oh my god, I love I love when um Rose is explaining how they're gonna what they're gonna do um to to Donna when she like travels back in time. And, you know, Rose says, you know, the mirror's incidental, they bounce energy and that we can control where you go. And so Donna says it's a time machine, and Rose says, It's a time machine. And the music is so swelling. good. I know. And like, also the idea that just like, they're essentially just saying, oh no, the mirrors looked cool. <laughs> you know, like that, that's such a, a good underlying joke and a very good human moment. Yeah. Um, you also get, cause it's, there's been this kind of ominous warning from Rose throughout the episode that she keeps saying to Donna, I'm sorry, but like when you come with me, you're going to die. Um, and then she explains, you're going to go back in time. You're going to stop yourself from uh, turning right. Um, did I get it right that time? Yep. Great. Um, and, uh, you know, and when you do, that's that's going to be great. You're going to fix everything. And and as they're, like, whirling up the machine to send her back, Donna's like, no, no, like, I get it now. I get it. You know, you, you said I was going to die, but you just meant this version of, of my universe. Like, because all of this is never going to have happened. And Rose gets such a good doctor moment mm. where she's like, no, honey. I'm sorry. You're, you're literally going to die. <laughs> yeah. And then Donna's response to it, you know, I can't die. I've got a future with the doctor. Yeah, you told me I have a future. Yeah. That's fucking... It's brutal. That do, that yeah. speech, I almost want to read it out in full, but I I might. Um, where Donna says, you know, I understand you said I was going to die, but you mean this whole world is going to blink out of existence, but that's not dying because a better world takes its place. The doctor's world, mm. which is very crucial. And I'm still alive. And then she's like, that's right. Like, I don't die if I change things. I don't die. Oh, I'm crying. <laughs> Even thinking yeah. about it. It's... Horrific. Mm. They really put Donna through some shit here. But it all leads to, in theory, building her character back up. In theory. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so Donna gets sent back to modern times and realises that the only way that she's going to be able to stop herself from turning right is to cause, like, that traffic jam, basically. Um, Mm. And... You know, again, an episode that is very happy to depict some pretty heavy material for a family-friendly show. Like, Donna kills herself. It's mm. it's a lot. But it's such a simple... I mean, like, Russell... I think Moffat is probably the, the best at the sort of simple 
that was like that was a perfect kind of solution to the problem endings yeah um but this is on par if not better like donna on par on par okay donna <laughs> don't come for moffat like that i heard you bitch. i wasn't trying oh, fuck off anyway donna <laughs> to save herself she needs to kill herself perfect poetic and totally in line with yeah russell's like tragic bent um mm-hmm. and it's the cruelest also, twist of fate you know um <laughs> that it is that she has to do this because like she was just getting a spark back she was just getting a spark back and it made me think about something with regards to donna and and rose and putting them side by side is because like it invites you to compare the two as companions right and like with rose you always got the impression that she believed she was special there was the clicky kind of thing with the doctor she was in love with him like they were higher than (laughs) the average person but donna like really brought the doctor back to earth and down to earth and it's because i think that she needed him way more she and and you see that like she needs that belief of the doctor to just to live to to spark her up and mm. make things beautiful and meaningful um it's the fucking like i said it's the cruelest twist of fate that <laughs> she has to die twice um uh yeah, that's it because like the the figurative concept that's going on here of like essentially killing the person you were so you can become the person you're meant to be um yeah i, I think is really nice yeah. uh and and great writing on on russell's part um because you know and, and this is obviously there's an element of, of personal speaking here but like there is even if you're not entirely happy with where you are in life there is sometimes comfort in that known element or yeah. you know y- your discomfort can become your comfort zone and the idea of having to like violently wrestle yourself into a better you is brilliant for donna truly um and and brilliant for all this arrested development you know self-worth uh stuff culminating in a story here um and then it and then it ends and then we just go into the waters of Mars, and donna <laughs> goes away it's good it's great <laughs> yeah it's a great ending to the series um forever yeah um no but we by the end of the story obviously the doctor is back um and I think I'm just going to really bluntly segue us into the, like the last sort of point we wanted to talk about with this episode, which is um, who the doctor really is. Cause I love doing my comparisons and like you could, I think it's very deliberate placing this episode against midnight deliberate in the sense that it was just necessary because that was a doctor heavy story. This is a doctor light story. Um, Bloody, bloody blah. But yeah. uh, the Midnight, as we talked about, is very much an episode that showcases the Doctor's flaws, his egos, uh, his um, high-mindedness, and the sort of privileges that he takes on as a Time Lord and a traveller in time. This episode is very much, well, he, his strengths. It shows his strengths, and his strengths are his companions. That is, like, that's just definitive. Um, and I mean, you know, Midnight is very specifically a companion light episode. Like we, we only see those flaws of the doctor, um, in Midnight because he doesn't have the relatable human next to him to be like, oh no, actually don't worry about him. I promise you he's an all right dude. Yes. You know? Oh yes, absolutely. And then, so yeah, you're right. Like we also see the, the consequences here of, of him being alone <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Because he's dead. Um, 
but also in his absence, you you see the world that could be and the the terrible things that could happen um, without him. I don't really think I have much more to say on that front, unless you have something, James. No, no, I, I think that 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 sums up nicely. Um, turn left is good. <laughs> Should we talk about the ending? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, as Donna lies dying in the street uh, of her alternate universe, Rose uh, does her magical reappearing again and is like, when you see him, tell him this. And she whispers two words that we don't get to hear. And then she gets uh, Donna gets back and she's like, yeah, there was a woman actually. And the doctor instantly like it's the same thing as like uh like why did you say that name it's like what do you mean the blonde woman um it's i i really i really like the unintentional comedy of it um but yeah essentially you know bad wolf is the message it gets delivered and then the episode goes from being so brilliant and so (laughs) refined and unique and fun and then suddenly it's like, oh, Murray Gold starts tripping over symbols as Bad Wolf is written literally everywhere on China Planet. And hmm. it's just so silly. So I think the intention with this ending was to just to visually show that Rose's world and the Doctor's world were colliding once more. Um, but it is really like, what's happening? Like, why is everything changed to Bad yeah. Wolf? It's just so fucking confusing, especially because the idea of like Donna says bad wolf and then it pushes in on the doctor's face would have been a much more powerful ending. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To go into the into the street and to see everything's changed and to see the TARDIS, like the words on the TARDIS have changed and the cloister bell is clanging. It's like, I love the cloister bells, though. Always going to throw down for the cloisters. I think those things rule. But why are they clanging? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. It doesn't fucking matter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, and there we go. I mean, that's that's the answer, isn't it? Like, okay, it's dumb, but it doesn't matter because at least this is ramping the tension up. We know next week things are things are going to go down. Things are happening, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know it's funny because like uh, we have to view this episode next week in the context of the finale. Um. I do wish this was a self-contained story in so many ways. I wish this was just a perfect little, like... And it, in some ways it is, except for this ending. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. And look, I, I, I've had a phenomenal time tonight just talking about it as if it existed on its own. I know we've obviously made our jokes because we can't help ourselves. Um, but Turn Left is exceptional um as we said at the top a plus is all around that's you're gonna see that shit coming a mile off um unfortunately well yeah yeah flowers for Catherine tate for billy piper for the people that play wolf and cynthia like there's not a bad performance in here um it it's just it's exceptional it's doctor who at its finest Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you know, we've got the finale next week. Listeners, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks to review the series four finale. And we'll just leave it yeah. there, James. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> it's Doctor Who at its worst. I hate it. Um, no, no. <laughs> Don't. Give them something no. to like to look forward to. 
No, I know, I know. But <laughs> look, we've we've made enough of a, a, a enough allusions to it throughout this episode that um, it, next week, next two weeks time, whatever, it, it's it's going to be a rough one. Mm. There's a lot to talk about with this uh, big two parter finale, the the Avengers End Game of Doctor Who episodes. Mm. Um, yes, and we like I said, we'll get to that next uh, next episode. But on a closing note, I do want to just say that like. This is my, as I said at the top of the episode, it's my favourite episode of Doctor Who. And I think talking about it is so hard because it, it, how do you talk about something that you, that you, that you literally haven't stopped thinking about since it went out in 20, 2008? I can remember the person I was mm. then and the person I am now. And they are two different people. But this episode is, is, is creatively like been, I think, the biggest influence on me. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's just the things you can do with this show. This is, this yeah. is top tier as far as I'm concerned. And, and I wish the show took these kind of leaps, these creative risks more, but I understand why they don't, because if you did, then these episodes would become commonplace and you'd be like, where's the next, Where, what else? Am I-? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's the same thing we said about blink. It's the same way I feel about hell bent. Like you only get special episodes because they're special, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, but I've loved talking about this episode with you today, James. Um, and despite it all, I really actually can't wait to talk about <laughs> series four finale. Um, oh no, we're going to have a great discussion. I, I, I'm, I'm very excited to talk about what comes next. It's just emotionally, <laughs> theoretically, so like, academically, physically, what comes next makes me sick. It's no, <laughs> it's like if like you were, it's, so imagine you're, it's 2014, you're watching Face the Raven. You're like, wow, that was great. And then next week you tune in and it's like, why is Amy here? Why is Rory here? Why is River here? Yeah. Why is truly. Madam and then, uh, Eye Patch Lady here? Madam Eye Patch Lady. <laughs> and then after all of that, Clara loses her memories while crying and saying she doesn't want to. Oh, it's good. We're going to talk about it. Um, <laughs> but that's for another time. Um, James, A plus still? Oh yeah, A plus, fantastic. A A plus, yeah, A plus, <laughs> A plus, A plus, A plus. Um, no, and same for me too. Uh, definitely an A plus. All right, as always, thank you so much for joining us every week here on Two Hearts. If you would like uh, to have your thoughts and feelings read on the show, please feel free to email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's two, the word two. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at twoheartspod, the number two. Um, Reviews on iTunes would be really fantastic. They really do help us grow and and find more of an audience. We're so thrilled that you guys are sticking around after our little flux uh, moment there. So really excited to talk about what's what's coming next for the show mm. um i've been james you can find me on twitter at omg more james uh and i've been callum you can find me on twitter and instagram at theatricallum and i will just leave you with this you remember that bit where rose said flux in this episode <laughs> she did and i remember thinking to myself oh flux Ugh, i don't want to think about that <laughs> Oh, oh! By the way, what we didn't talk about in Doctor Who news is that um, Carvin Easter porn made it onto <laughs> national television. So, good night, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> I'm going to leave that there. No context. Good night, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>